Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, let's talk learning disabilities. Welcome to episode number 75 of Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. Thank you for being here. And I am missing my co-host today, Lori, unfortunately is under the weather today and is not with us. So I am flying solo. So I hope that you guys are okay with that. Hope everyone's doing well. And I want to let you know that I have a very special guest with me today, Um, We are going to be speaking with Evan Weinberger, who is the president and CEO of Staying Ahead of the Game. Hi, Evan. Welcome. Hi. 75 episodes. What a feat. And I feel so honored to uh, have been chosen to be a part of your 75th episode. Super exciting. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thank you for being here. It has been very exciting. And and like I said, we've been shocked and pleased with ourselves that we've been able to stick with it for 75 episodes. We had a big celebration on our 50th, so we'll have another big celebration on our 100th episode, and we'll even invite you to join it. So, um, Evan, for let's start off today for our listeners. Tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be where you are today and what you're doing today. Sure. You know, I'm happy to do that. I, you know, it's an interesting story and, and we could we could have a podcast that lasts all weekend. Um, you know, I, I was diagnosed very early with ADHD um, back when it was the inattentive type was ADD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, somehow I got a little hyperactive toward high school. So years later, somehow I, I got a little hyperactive um, and so it really was ADHD. I still think it's primarily inattentive type. You know, my grades were always good, and I didn't realize how lucky I was until later in life. Um, I'm the oldest of three. Uh, my mother was an accountant for Exxon. She uh, was able to put that aside and spend a tremendous amount of time with me for, gosh, five, six years before my sisters came around. And then my father had to live and shrink. My father was a clinical psychologist, so I was uh, very in tune with with how I learned differently. And I I love that word different as opposed to disorder, but how I learned differently. And I was in a small environment. I, you know, I'm Jewish. I went to a little Jewish day school my whole life, um, graduated a year early in a whopping class of 11 and lived in Israel for a year and trained dogs for the Israeli army while I was there, came back with a bunch of college credits and went to Rhodes College and finished with degrees in biology and religious studies and was always interested in psychology. So for a number of reasons, I switched gears and uh, took some post-bac classes in psychology, discovered industrial and organizational psychology. It was one of those things where after you learn what it is, it's like somebody does that. Wow, that's fascinating. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's really interesting. So I, I uh, you know, even without a master's, I applied to doctoral programs and did some doctoral work in industrial and organizational psychology Um, But dialing back to my diagnosis, I always did well in school, much better than I statistically should have. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my my parents and some outside help too, some scaffolding and support helped me to build what we now call executive function skills. At the time, we were talking about life skills. And it was really those organizational skills, those time management skills, study skills, self-advocating skills 
um, that really helped me to thrive despite learning differently. Um, sometimes it's the kids, as you know, who somehow maintain good grades, whether, you know, families have scaffolding around kids or, a, you know, a parent might have a background in mental health and really understand what's going on or the kids, the oldest, whatever it may be. Um, it's the kids who are doing well that are never on anybody's radar. Right. So those are the kids that, that fall off. And so that was me, you know, there was a lot of chaos behind the scenes to get my work done. You know, this was, this was before everybody used computers. I was the first one in my school to start taking notes on a computer. Um, that was a, a new thing at the time. Um, scanning things wasn't so, you know, easy. So it was calling friends to get something I forgot at school and then running to Kinko's in order to make copies and, and then returning it to the friends so that they could finish their homework to be fair to them. Right. It was a lot of chaos. That, that process of, um, all right, class, I introduced this concept, do it 10 more times for homework. Here's a sheet with some problems, take it home, complete it. It's exactly what we were doing in class. Bring it back to me tomorrow. That process was had so many more steps for me. You know? right. um, it, it was the behind, did it act- the, scenes, the behind the scenes real. Yeah, did it did it actually make it home? And it made it home. Did I do it? And did I remember to complete it? And did I look to see if there was a backside to it and remember mm-hmm. to complete those? And and if I didn't have it, could I get it from a friend? Make a photocopy. You know, there was a lot of chaos behind the scenes, mm-hmm. um, even though it didn't show in my grades. Um, so that experience over over many years um, really got my mind thinking that I'm not the only student. And as I matriculated and realized how lucky I really was, I was watching folks who struggled even less than I did. Um, their outcomes and their performance was lower than mine. And I just saw them falling off the boat, but they had so much potential. Right. And and so that kind of put the, the planted the seed, you know, for for that. And then it was some of my research in my doctoral work with executive coaching, polychronicity, which is a fancy word in the primary literature for time management, multitasking, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, some things about job stress, work stress, but impression management, how through our behavior we can manage the impressions that other people form about us. Mm-hmm. Um, those became really interesting to me. I said, wait, that is exactly the kind of life skills that helped me to circumvent my learning differences and persevere through them and maintain high levels of performance. You know, the quicker I could find things, mm-hmm. uh, certain tasks were going to take me longer than my peers. And, and, but the quicker I could find things and eliminate some of those extra steps, I could spend that extra time. And overall I was still better off for it. Right. Right. So there was that, uh, my own experiences, the, some of my research in my doctoral work, um, and then I, an observation that in the market, there is a lot of resources for traditional tutoring, math, science, English, history, foreign language, standardized test prep. Mm-hmm. But I found that I was very offended by a lot of their models, right? Um, so kids have a propensity, propensity to procrastinate. You know, the brain develops from the back to the front, this frontal mm-hmm. lobe, but houses your executive decision making, you know, et cetera is not fully developed till, you know, uh, mid twenties for girls. And then, you know, late for boys is early thirties. When I do public speaking, I joke, you know, early sixties, early seventies, <laughs> but um, it, the truth is mid, mid to late twenties for girls, late twenties to early thirties for, for boys, but that's after college. Right. And so kids are not programmed yet to make the best decisions consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was offended by a lot of the tutoring company models out there where a kid 
would would wait until the night before a test, parents would panic. They would call a tutoring company. I'll pay anything. Charge me double, triple. You know, can you can you be here in an hour? And right. we're going to help my kid cram for this test. But then it, it almost seems like it worked, right? Like, so they, somebody comes over, charges whatever, and then the next day a kid goes in and does decently well in a test. And so the parents are like, great, you know, right. um, can I have your number? Let's keep in touch. And it happens twice the next week and three times the week after. And I just felt like, how do those owners of those tutoring companies really sleep at night they're not solving any problems, right? right? They're creating dependency, not independence. Yeah. Um, and so I was offended by that. And, and there was really nobody out there that I could find at the time who was working on these life skills or executive function skills, those foundational skills that lie at, the, at, at, at that base of every successful mm-hmm. student. You don't get a grade for keeping a planner. You don't get a grade for keeping a binder organized. Um, right. But but every kid that's getting good grades has some system for doing that stuff. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one right way to do things. The right way is the system that a kid will actually use. Um, but I said, there is a, a gap in the market. There is a niche in the market and, and I'm going to fill it, you know, and I'm going to call what we do academic coaching um, because I feel like the word tutor doesn't fully appreciate Right. Um, the breadth of, and scope of our work with students. Sure, traditional tutoring is a part of it, and we offer that. All subjects, K through 12, standardized test prep, you know, happy to help with college essays, applications, those kinds of things, not college selection. So certainly happy to help with that. Um, but our forte and the reason I call what we do academic coaching is that 360-degree kind of approach, that more wholesome approach, helping kids build those foundational skills so that they can help themselves from day one we're trying to work ourselves out of a job. So that right. is a long-winded answer to your question of who I am and why I started getting into this kind of work. And you know what? That was June of 2006 that I started staying ahead of the game. And I'm proud to say that we have grown to be, 17 years later, the largest academic coaching and tutoring organization serving one of the biggest cities in the country, Houston, Texas. Wow. With, uh, uh, with some resources in these other kind of smaller big cities in Texas, um, we have smaller presence in those in those big cities for in person, but work virtually with students all over Texas. And I, I co-founded uh, Illuminos um, with my cousin Wendy. Um, that's lo- it services the DC metro area, um, and we're looking to to streamline those operations and copy and paste that operation in some other places outside of Texas. So. Um, growing turns out it was, it was a, it was a good idea, Abby. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it was a good idea. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. You know, you, you're right that there is, a, there are a million tutoring agencies and companies and they're on every corner now. Um, they're virtual, they're brick and mortar. Um, you know, some are specializing in math because everyone struggles in math now. Um, or, you know, all different subjects, a lot of test prep companies, but you're right. You know, we don't learn those life skills that you need to be successful throughout, you know, your school career, especially, you know, college beyond. Um, and even as an adult in the workplace and in the real world, I think a lot of individuals, they may develop their own coping or quote unquote coping type strategies on their own, or like you said, you know, different organizational systems. 
ways to study, you know, time management. But I think in this day and age, the majority of individuals or students don't learn those skills on their own, or they don't just pick them up incidentally. They have to be discreetly taught, you know, time management skills and organizational skills and study skills and uh, even self-regulation, even being aware of the feelings you're feeling in your body and what you can do to help those feelings or, you know, knowing if you have the skills you need to actually see through an assignment. So I love that you started this staying ahead of the game. And I, and I, you know, I think Abby, you're touching on something really important. These are skills as opposed to abilities, right? So if you look far enough back in the literature, take social skills, for example, if you look far enough back in the literature, it was referred to as social ability because we thought that those kinds of interpersonal, you know, competencies that you either had it or you didn't. Right. Um, and then we, you know, we, we've known over the years through lots of research that, no, no, these are skills. Sure. Some people have a, may start at a different point than, than another person, but these are skills. They can be taught, they can be learned and they can improve with practice. And so I, you touched on something really important, organizational skills, time management skills, self-advocating skills, social skills. These are all skills that can be taught, they can be learned, and they can improve with practice. And that's, and that's important when a parent out there thinks that, you know, what, what is going to happen with my kid? They can't do this. They can't do that. They just weren't born that way, et cetera. No, no, there's, there's hope for them. And, you know, learning differences, this is a different podcast, but learning differences you know, come along with some superpowers too. You know, you develop um, some really keen, uh, you know, other competencies um, through building what I what I refer to. You refer to it too. I use the term compensatory skills, right? So as you build compensatory skills to compensate really for your weaknesses, um, that may always be weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Well, you spend a lot of time building those ancillary skills and all of a sudden you have some skills as a student with learning differences that your peers don't have. Right. And so we call kind of, we call those some superpowers, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. I love that. Cause it, yeah, it is, you have superpowers and even with having weaknesses or challenges or learning differences, you have areas that you do have strengths. And so I always encourage teachers, parents, adults, individuals to use your strengths to build up your weaknesses or weaker areas. So- it's a common, a common misdirection. You know, I think we, the natural thing is if, if this is a weak area, then you should focus almost all of your attention on improving that, right? This, this doesn't need improvement. It's already strong. This, you need to focus on your weaknesses. Actually, research tells us quite the opposite, that sure, you should never stop trying to improve upon your weaknesses, but accept that those may always be trouble areas for you. It feels good. It is motivating. It helps foster a growth mindset. If you actually hone in on those strengths, we're going to grow up to be to do different things for a living, right? If we were all the same, we'd all do the same thing for a living. So it's a blessing that we have differences. Focus as much or more on your strengths and how to leverage those strengths to compensate for your weaknesses. And you'll feel better along the way doing it. And the outcomes and your life satisfaction will be higher. That's what you know the research yeah. has told us. So I think that's a great point. A great point, yeah. too. I agree. I think that is a great point. And, you know, you you talked about when you were, you know, telling a little bit about your history that 
you you didn't struggle in school and that you did well, you were able to be successful. Um, granted, you were in a smaller school, smaller classes, lower staff to student ratio, but you, you know, had, like you said, scaffolding and supports at home that could help you as well. And one of the frustrations we hear often from parents is that, you know, they've said to their school, to someone at their child's school, that my child's really struggling, you know, or he spends five hours a night on homework and we have tears and meltdowns and, you know, we're driving all over town trying to get last minute supplies and whatnot. And then the school says often, well, he has A's and B's, so we don't really see a, a, a need to either evaluate him for any type of learning difference or give him any type of accommodations or supports to help him at school because he has A's and B's. So it is a big frustration that parents deal with, you know, high schoolers, college students, but trying to get some services or supports in place when you are doing well at school. So what I always say is, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes or how bad that child melts down when he gets home or how long it takes to get homework done or how much it's requiring from mom and dad and sister. So I think that that is, you know, such a good point and that parents should not be afraid to advocate for their child's needs. And no, not only not be afraid, they need to. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. And especially for those students where there's a lot of chaos behind the scenes that the school doesn't know about unless you proactively tell them right. that you need to be that squeaky wheel. You know, I mm-hmm. I got the accommodations that I received, even at, you know, at my private Jewish school, because my parents were huge advocates and I got tested every three to four years. And, uh, you know, it's another podcast where you talk about that, why it's so important to update that testing every three to four mm-hmm. years. And it's not because you're looking for something different. It's because by the time it gets increasingly tough, you know, by the time you need accommodations on an MCAT or an LSAT, it's like applying to the CIA, you know, and they right. want to see a history every three to four years of mm-hmm. not necessarily something different. They want to see the same thing that, you know, who wouldn't appreciate some extra time on an MCAT, right? So it has to be demonstrated every every three to four years and and mm-hmm. it gets more and more difficult. They get more stringent on on giving out those accommodations. And and frankly they should. Right. And so parents need to be proactive at getting testing done. Parents need to be proactive at letting the school know what's going on behind the scenes, mm-hmm. ongoing concerns, etc. And I don't want to misrepresent my smooth sailing through school. It was not smooth sailing. I mean I definitely uh, my grades, you know, ultimately were good, but I had instances where I'd go in and, and answer a, you know, one of those a prompt for an essay question. And there were like three questions in there and I would answer one and never address the other two, or I would write a beautiful essay and never actually address the question. And the teacher was so frustrated because I did all my homework. I came to, I went to tutorials um, to visit with the teacher. I, I participated regularly in class. I sat towards the front, you know, all these things. The teacher knew that I had mastered that material and that, the grade I was about to get on that assessment for not answering the question did not reflect my mastery of the material. And I would come in sometimes during my lunch and redo essay questions, you know, as part of accommodations and understanding mm-hmm. of my circumstances, you know, et cetera. So I, I don't want to paint a rosy picture of my, of my school trajectory. I definitely, 
um, struggled. I have auditory processing issues, reading comprehension issues, um, you know, ADHD. A lot of people think that because outwardly it looks this way that you don't mm-hmm. hear things. And that's not true. You actually hear everything. And the problem is, is isolating what you need to be hearing at any given time. And I had trouble doing that. I heard my friend clicking his pencil. I heard the teacher gossiping outside in the hallway. I heard the air conditioning vents going on and off. I, the computer would make a sound every time the screensaver came on and would start over again. And, and I would hear the teacher speaking. And it was really hard for me mm-hmm. to process, hone in on that audio that needed my attention, that was the really? most important. And Teacher's then voice versus everything. Take notes. Yeah, exactly. So it was a, it was a bumpy road, but with, with uh, parents as wonderful advocates and with the appropriate testing and uh, the help with some scaffolding and tutors, you know, kind of along the way, wow. um, I, uh, you know, I, I persevered and my, my grades were good. Good. That's awesome. And and really, you know, and by your parents advocating for you, you probably in turn learned how to advocate for yourself also. So at some point, some of the adv- advocacy switched from being mostly on your parents' backs to more on yours. You know, would you, would you say like by the time you were in high school, were you advocating for your own needs and asking for your own accommodations or in college? Sure. Maybe, maybe some in high school. Um, I, you know, and I'll give you an example. So, you know, in high school, prior to high school, you know, my parents were there advocating for me on my behalf in high school, they were still advocating for me, but it was more them nudging me in the background to go talk to a teacher about this. And we would role play so that I wasn't anxious or even write things down, you know, that I needed to say to the teacher or ask the teacher. Um, it wasn't until college, you know, where the registrar's office, you know, won't even acknowledge whether you're a student there to a parent. You're an adult, right? right? It's your experience. And so it was really on me, you know, and it's, and it's funny the way the system works. You have to go for this and they call it something different at every school, but a center for students with disabilities, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And you go through and they have your paperwork, you have the, the appropriate meetings with them. Then they tell you, which I guess makes sense. The burden is on you to ask for these accommodations. We have cleared you for these accommodations, but it is not on your professor or teacher um, to remember to administer these. So prior to assessments, you need, and, and they're, they're telling me, a kid with ADHD right. who struggles with calendaring and all this stuff, that the onus is on me to reach out to the professor a week before assessments to schedule taking it at the testing center um, for my extended time, you know, et cetera. So that's always been, been funny to me. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, a big thing that we I do talk about with parents of, you know, high schoolers is making sure that the importance of understanding how you learn best or your learning differences and what types of accommodations level the playing field for you or support you. Because by the time you get to college, like you said, they don't, they don't want to talk to mom or dad anymore. You're 18. You're considered an adult. You need to be requesting your own accommodations, advocating for your own needs. So we actually, you know, really try to get them to start advocating for themselves in high school. And even when, you know, we're meeting with parents to review evaluation results, 
there are surprisingly a lot of parents that don't want their student, their child to know that they have any type of learning disability or learning difference. And it takes some convincing and some really good examples and some personal stories to convince them of the importance of, you know, each individual knowing why their brain works the way it works, the way they learn best, and being able to advocate for their own needs so that by the time they get to college, they're already comfortable with it. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. When we start with students, we always start with goal setting, and I love the SMART goals, you know, kind of process. So we, we use that and revisit those every few weeks, make sure we're headed in the right direction. Then we move into organization, um, physical organization. And now what's just as important is digital organization and then organization of spaces. You know, there's a lot of research about when kids should do their work, where kids should do their work, the things that they should have around them, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we move into time management and that planner portal relationship. So, you know, these portals are great. They weren't around when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but my issue is not with the portal. I love the portals. My issues are with how students have responded to these portals. So students have said, well, this is a planner, right? I don't have to keep a planner anymore because I just checked the portal. And it's there's no magic that happens in the portal. You know, student yeah. A and student B with the same schedule at the same school see the same portal. You, student A and student B have different strengths and weaknesses. Student A needs to start a week in advance studying for math but can write things the day before student B can study the day before for math, but needs to spend a week, you know, meeting with the teacher and drafting things, you know, for writing. And so we, the planner is where there, the magic happens that, you know, student A and student B, while their portals look identical, their planners need to look different. That's where, where you get information from the portal, which is a resource for information, assuming teachers keep it up to date. That's a whole other you know, exactly. discussion. But if they do, you take the information from that resource. Kids need to spend a few minutes a day saying, okay, I have to put all those things in my planner and identify and appreciate the magnitude of those assignments. So if something is large, you need to identify those hidden tasks and break it down into kind of specific steps and say, I'm going to do this step on Monday, this step on Tuesday. It also feels good to cross those steps Mm -hmm. out as you complete them. It's motivating. Um, even does some some things chemically in your brain, right? So – that's the next thing we do with students. Then we move to study skills. You know, the, the skills involved in studying are very different than the skills that are involved in completing homework. You know, homework, answer these 20 questions, work these 20 problems. Right. Fantastic. You know, how do you know when you're finished? When you've, you've given your best effort for these 20 right. problems or questions. But, uh, you know, studying is this, you know, all that stuff we did the last two or three weeks. Um please make sure you know all of it because you're going to have a big test on Monday. Well, the skills involved in actually systematically preparing for that assessment um, are very different than the skills involved in doing homework. And they are, they are skills and it's not magic. Like you mentioned before, you know, I see a lot of kids who are really bright have never had to study. So they never developed those skills. And then all of a sudden the work picks up. There's not enough time in a day to do it all. They're, you know, the procrastination is, is out the wazoo and there's not enough time in the day to do it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and procrastination, I mean, that means waiting to the last minute to do it. Neglect is, is then just not doing it. Right. So that's a, a different, different problem. Right. But those students, I don't care how bright you are. If you, you go to flex those study muscles and they're not there, it doesn't matter how bright you are. If you've never had to flex those muscles before, you've never right. built them up, you go to flex them and they're not there. 
Um, so study skills, note taking, test taking strategies, all that. I think that's why, you know, we do surprisingly see a lot of college students getting tested for the very first time to 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 determine if they have a learning difference or you know a learning disability or ADHD um, because they were able to get by throughout you know elementary middle high school and studying for them you know may have been just reading your notes the night before and that was sufficient to get good grades on the test or for some really bright individuals just sitting and listening in class was enough for them to do well on tests but then you get to college and the level of the curriculum the rigor you know the amount of assignments and projects and tasks that that you have to balance and and then you also have all this structure's been removed and you no longer have mom and dad reminding you of things and teachers aren't reminding you of things like they were in high school so yeah i i agree study skills have to be also taught discreetly because they're not. They have, they have to be taught discreetly. And then there are over two dozen research driven strategies and techniques that are effective for studying. But uh, you can count on one hand the number of those that are going to that are going to have good outcomes for any one individual. Right. So so it's all about. And, and now, you know, we talk about learning styles, right? Aesthetic learners, uh, auditory learners, visual learners. Now there's like what eight or nine, eight or nine now yeah, that we talk about. And, yeah, and and what what research is telling us now is that for this particular type of class, you may be this kind of learner, but it actually might be different for this type of class. Right. And so it's not even consistent across all your courses. So so yes, I think that that's absolutely absolutely critical. And, you know, I speak all over the country. And one of my presentations, I, I spoke at a national conference for um, educational consultants. And um, one of the presentations uh, that I did there and, and many other places is that transition to college. I preach all the time that the biggest transition kids make in their entire lives is that transition from high school to college. You noted a few of those reasons. There's so many more. We can do uh-huh. a different podcast on another oh, yeah. day about that if, if you want. Yeah. But oh my gosh, big Absolutely. transition. Yeah, it is a huge, and you're right, it could be a whole podcast. So so with your clients, you know, coming in that, that are getting academic coaching, if they say, you know, I have organizational skills, I don't need to work on that, I, I use this planner right here. Is there a way that you ass- kind of like informally assess their level of organizational skills or do you pretty much kind of follow a, a, a plan for all clients that, you know, we're going to teach this and we're going to teach this and we're going to work on this and then we're going to work on this. Sure. No, great question. You know, kids are not the tube or the circle. You can't approach it that way. Um, every kid is wired up differently. And, and the way, you know, I, I call it our Bible, but we have, a proprietary research driven, all based in science and award winning program for executive function, um, focused on organization, time management, study skills, and, and uh, we call impression management, a certain component of social skills. And there's a lot of areas, you know, under each of those four major categories. But the way that it's structured is, is if, you know, for this percentage of our students or, you know, for this, these neuroprofiles, 
try this first and then try this and then try this, right? So there's not just one way, mm-hmm. you know, to do these things. And we have a pretty extensive onboarding process um, where we talk to families, not just get paperwork, but then um, really get a lot of rich information. We even have an optional mind print learning assessment that assesses 10 core cognitive and executive functions. You cannot use it for uh, diagnoses. You cannot use it for accommodations. It's not as neat and fancy as the assessments that you do. Um, and so it's not a substitute for that, but it gives us uh, additional color to the picture of, of kind of how the student's brain works. Mm-hmm. You can even tell kids who are about to take an SAT or ACT which test might be better based on how their brain works. Um, so it's, a, it's really interesting. Kids take it from home in an hour. It's an optional part of our onboarding. But but we take have an extensive onboarding process and individualize our approach and program for every kid. If a kid has never experienced consequences from poor organization and they highlight things in seven different colors, that may be outside the scope of our work for that student. And that's okay. Sometimes the goal is great. Sometimes the goal is efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the same amount done in less time or more done in the same amount of time. Sometimes it's it's reducing the chaos around school at home. That parent-child mm-hmm. dynamic can be turbulent at times and and kind of taking that onus or burden off of the parents and saying, let us, let us do this with your kid. You know, yeah. um, there's uh, sometimes that's the goal. So uh, even every family, their goal is not, not the same, you know, working sure. with us and, and we work in person, we work virtually, we have some limited in-person services in and around Dallas and Austin. Um, and we work virtually all over Texas with students. That's awesome. And, and, you know, there, there are, so many parents that are exhausted from having to do so much for their child. And in my experience, I feel like a lot of kids do not work as well with their own parents as they do with just a strange adult, (laughs) a stranger or uh, a different adult, you know, that's outside of their circle, outside of their family, kind of an unbiased professional. So again, another great reason to, you know, think about or consider, you know, having your student work with an academic coach like Evan or somebody from Evan's company, because, yeah, it's a struggle and you don't want to hinder the relationship either. Yeah. Sometimes mom just wants to be mom. Dad just Mm -hmm. wants to be dad. You want to hug your kid and say how your day was, not fight about homework, you know? And so, yeah, we come in at a a different level. We try to not be a parent type or a teacher type, but more of an older cousin mentor kind of person. Mm -hmm. You share anything you want with me. I won't judge you. I've seen everything. I'm on your team. Let me help you. Right. We don't, unless it's really necessary, and, and even then, we only do it with family's permission. But, um, you know, I believe it takes a village to raise happy, healthy kids. That's the yeah, goal. Um, and the outcomes are always better when the people in the village talk to each other. So, you know, we are happy to coordinate with testers, uh, folks doing individual therapy, group therapy, um, uh, any private college counselors. You know, we're happy to coordinate efforts, counselors at school, teachers. But what we love doing is helping students craft their own in the interest of self-advocating, craft their own emails to their teachers. Um, You know, when you talk to your teacher about something, they give you a two-day extension, come home and put that in an email so it's time-stamped and and dated, right? Teachers are human. They forget things. They have a lot of students. Those kinds of habits will help you 
not just now, but later, you know, I have a whole talk about why do we go to school, right? Kids tell us all the time, like this, the rise and fall of the Byzantine Empire, mom, who cares? Is anyone, how's that going to help me sell cars, invest money, you know, buy real estate, you know, and it's not, right? It's an actually a valid question, but I think the real purpose of school, we don't do a good enough job telling kids, but the real purpose of school is not necessarily the math, science, English, foreign language. Now, I don't want anybody listening to this walk away saying, ah, you know, Evan said school's (laughs) not important. That's not true. It is very important, and the subject matter is important too, but equally important, and some years even more important, are the executive function skills that student, that kids, students are learning along the way. That is what's going to help them with real life when the consequences are lower now. But later, you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. You don't conduct yourself the right way. You don't self-advocate. You wake up the next day. You don't have a job. That's a problem. You got two right. kids. You got a wife. You know, that's a problem. And so we're, we're speaking the same language, Abby. Yeah, I love it. I think that's great. So with your, um, if someone wants to, you know, work with you, is there like a, a timeline or an amount of sessions that you know that has shown, you know, efficacy, at, you know, as far as improving their executive functioning skills? Or is it, you kind of, as you go and work with an individual, you keep assessing where they are and at how much need they have. So more the latter than the former. I wish there was a clear answer to that. Since every kid's wired up differently um, and kids are willing to do different amounts of work when we're not here and their follow through level is different and how quickly they open up to us is different. You know, I would say we always start with at least twice a week. Um, I never make families make long-term commitments. I only want them to continue if it's effective and if it's working and they feel good about it. And if they something else comes up and they need to redirect their resources, I've never found that anything ever good comes from holding a family hostage. And any companies that make you prepay for 50 sessions, I to me, that screams a lack of confidence, right? If, if something is working and it's a good thing, people will continue it doing it. So well. that's always been my approach. If I had to, to you know, pin me in a corner and, and ask me, uh, you know, just give me an answer. Yes, I'll give you an answer. You know, from day one, we're working ourselves out of the equation, out of a job. That's the goal. We always start with at least twice a week, sometimes three times. We will dial up or down based on how kids are responding. It's usually after a full semester of working together on a regular schedule that we assess how things are going and start to um, have conversations about what if we reduce the frequency of our meetings? Mm-hmm. Let's see how that goes. And then, of course, the the holy grail is to eliminate the need for sessions altogether as opposed to creating dependency. And like right. I said, I, I was offended by a lot of tutoring company models out there, and I, I want it to be different. And so that is very important to me. Anybody on my leadership team, you pull them aside, they will tell you the same thing. I'd, I'd say it almost weekly at our meetings, even 17 years later the happiest days are the days that we lose a client because they're doing well and they don't need us anymore. Those are my happiest days. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. You're right. It is. I mean, I can, I, you, the way you said it, you, you work yourself out of a job, which I feel like that is the case with a lot of coaches that once you've, you've taught the skills and the individual has learned them and is using them routinely and effectively and successfully, they no longer need you, which is great. And those are lifelong skills they're learning, which wonderful. Um, so if somebody wanted to contact you or wanted to be a part of any of your services, 
with staying ahead of the game, how can they contact you or reach you? Yeah, sure. So our, our website is a great place to start for information. And there is a form there where you can fill that out and we'll we'll get in touch with you and it'll start a series of, of, of emails with more information, you know, et cetera. So the website is a great place to start, even if you're just looking for information. SAOTG.com stands for staying ahead of the game.com. SAOTG.com is a great place to start. We have over 200 blogs um, into six different separated into like six or seven different categories that are fantastic. We add a new one every week. We try to make them relevant to what's going on. So if a summer is approaching, midterms, final exams are approaching, the start of a school year. So they tend to be very, very timely and relevant. There's also a great place on our homepage. You scroll to the bottom to sign up for our newsletter. Um, we also have some tips uh, and tales. So Fox's tales of so tips uh, for parents that are also timely, et cetera. And then tales about updates and what's going on with the company. Um, great place to sign up for the newsletter. Um, 713-665-GAME is our, is our headquarters. That's the main office, uh, 713-665-4263. Um, we love to talk to every, we call our paperwork an application because we might not be the best fit for everybody. So uh, we do like to talk to people. Um, and so ultimately, regardless of how you reach out, we're going to talk to you, um, really appreciate your circumstances, see if it's a good fit, and then share how you can complete paperwork and ultimately our, our onboarding process and, and mm-hmm. get going with us. Um, we're also very active on Instagram at SAOTG and on Facebook, staying ahead of the game. Um, we post a lot of similar things there as well. So follow us. It's a great way to uh, just get some some free tips along the lines great. of what we've been talking about today. That's awesome. I love that you have just a plethora of resources available, e- even just before they even choose to, you know, um, elect your services and work, you know, with your company, but just that there's resources. So we'll put the link to Evan's company, staying ahead of the game to their website in our show notes. And if you guys have any questions, um, of course, you know, you can reach Evan through his website, www.saotg.com. Again, Evan Weinberger, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I want to say one more thing, Abby. You know, not all testers are created equal. Um, There are places that do testing that don't update their testing materials. And a lot of families who aren't in this field don't know that there are every few years are updated materials. Um, you know, and there are a lot of folks that do testing on top of everything else that they do. I, I, I love everything that I've learned about your practice, um, and, and how, how much expertise and passion you put in that and the, and that you only do the testing and, you know, that's, that's amazing. And this testing every three to four years is so important. So Mm -hmm. thank you and your team for everything that you guys do. And thank you for having me. And I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. That's wonderful. Thank you. We would love to have you back. And I appreciate that compliment because we do, you know, as ADHDers here in our office, majority of those of us that are here full time throughout the week have ADHD, but we do often come up with a million other ideas of things. I want to try this and I want to try that and maybe I'll do this, but we do ultimately, we want to stay in our lane with our expertise, our knowledge, our skills, we are staying in our lane. And then we're referring out for great resources as far as interventions and follow through and plans for success after seeing us 
with resources like you and staying ahead of the game. So thank you again. Thank you to our listeners. You guys, um, if you have any questions or if you have, you know, topics for future episodes, feel free to email us at let's talk learning disabilities at gmail.com. Or you can also access our podcast website at www.ltldpodcast.com. And on that website, you can see all of the episodes we've recorded. You can even search by categories if you're just looking for podcasts related to ADHD or podcasts related to dyslexia, etc. Anyways, thank you again, everyone. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. In our show notes, you can find information about today's talk, as well as links to resources and other episodes. If you have questions about today's talk, have ideas for future episodes, or just want to stay connected, you can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.